Hello, folks, and welcome to Understanding Immigration. Here with me, I got Spencer Raley. He's going to be talking to us about a new study that just came out from FAIR about a month ago talking about limited English proficiency students in the public school system. Spencer, you want to take it away? Tell us a little bit about the study you did. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's good to be back on the podcast. I feel like it's, feel like it's been a while. Yeah, uh, yeah. I got you know, but, a little uh, bit of an upgrade here in the studio. The yeah, whole absolutely. <laughs> it's feeling very professional in here. So, yeah, we, uh, we released a uh, study here recently looking uh, – titled The Elephant in the Classroom. And basically it's an update of a report that we did about, it's been almost six years now. And what it looks at is the impact of mass immigration on our public school systems, Uh, particularly when you look at the number of students that don't have full English proficiency, also known as limited English proficiency, or LEP. As you read the study, you'll see that term over and over again. And, and not just the numbers, where they're at, et cetera, but also the costs that go along with it, performance metrics, uh, and uh, some of the social impacts as well. Uh, so yeah, the uh, report, we found that there are approximately 5.1 million LEP students in American public schools, which wow. is a, an increase from six years ago that are costing Americans approximately $78 million, billion dollars, excuse me. Uh, and that's an very increase of, yeah, very, very important distinction. That's an increase of $18.8 billion since 2016. So wow. massive numbers, uh, things aren't getting any better. This is primary. The data primarily that we're working with goes up until the 2020 school year, so middle of 2020, uh, which is telling because uh, since most of that data runs one to two years behind, it doesn't include everything from the Biden border crisis that's going on right now. So we know that this is not in any way, shape, or form an overshot or an overestimate of the facts. It's low, actually. Things are getting worse, and they're only going to get worse until. the federal government takes the immigration crisis we're dealing with seriously. Yeah, and you know another study that you know I think you had a hand in compiling also recently said we had uh, I mean it was 4.9 million then, mm-hmm. but it's probably around 5 million now border crossings we've had since Biden yeah, took office. Yeah, and at least 2 million of those have been freely released in the United States, and we estimated that, that costs 20 billion. So if you kind of do the extrapolation of how many of those individuals are school aged, how many of them are going into in, in, into you know the public education system, you're talking thousands, tens of thousands, perhaps even hundreds of thousands of additional LEP students uh, entering our schools on top of what we have in our report here, Uh, which is really alarming because what we found was that schools were already getting really close to their breaking point, which means now who knows how many of them are, you know, at, you know, have crossed a Rubicon to where you know, it's going to be almost impossible to repair the damage. Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. So, you know, LEP, we talked a little bit about the term limited English proficient. Uh, When we're coming to this term, is this strictly illegal migrants, you know, children? Is this people who are, you know, limited English proficiency, but their parents are still citizens? What does that look like? Right. It's it's a combination of all those things. We found that a majority of them are either illegal aliens themselves or the children of illegal aliens. So the, the students may actually be U.S. citizens because... They were born in the United States, which gives them citizenship essentially no matter what, even if their parents are illegal aliens. Also included in that, the pretty much the balance, the rest, uh, would be the children of lawful migrants. Uh, in some very rare instances, it's a couple of generations down. You see that an individual may have migrated to the United States. They didn't teach their children English, mm-hmm. so they speak Spanish or another language at home, and then they teach their children the language that was their heritage as well, which um, really just, it it makes assimilation a problem. Uh, Obviously, it puts a strain on school resources, and 
and but for the most part, what we found is it's yeah, it's it, this is rooted from mass migration, particularly of those who are coming to the United States that obviously don't speak English, uh, family-based migration, uh, that sort of thing. Less than two percent, uh, closer to one percent of the totals are actually. U.S. citizens uh, who are not recent migrants. You said less than 1%. Less than, yeah, approximately 1% okay. are not from migrant families. It's just individuals wow. who, I mean, sometimes it's as simple as like their family was Amish or something and they spoke Pennsylvania Dutch or something at home and they never appropriately learned English or they come from a culture where, you know, they just didn't, they didn't learn English appropriately and now they're having to basically be taught it in school. But that's... That's like the exception of the exception. Yeah, so 99% of this is rooted in mass immigration. Mm-hmm. Individuals coming to the country that don't know the language, uh, illegal aliens crossing the border, and uh, which is kind of a shame because that means it's largely uh, an issue that could be remedied. And with the majority of it being rooted from illegal immigration means that states, cities, they cannot plan for this. You can't say, hey, we're budgeting for 2,000 additional illegal aliens next year. It's just not yeah. something that you can plan for. Especially these days under this administration, it's hard to kind of plan that out. Right, right. I mean, a couple of years ago when when uh, when President Biden took office, I would say us at FAIR knew that things were going to get bad. But even us with all of our expertise, everything that we were able to anticipate did not know it was going to be this bad. Yeah. So. You know, no one at a school level could have prepared for this. You couldn't go into a board meeting or a budget meeting or, you know, into the state house and say, hey, here is the 10 million extra dollars mm-hmm. I need over the next five years to educate illegal aliens. Because, again, yeah. you can't project that kind of growth. And even if you did, your numbers would probably be wrong at the end because we couldn't right. have anticipated the amount of people who are coming to again, the country Again, if you right would have, would have yeah. planned it based on the average number of illegal aliens coming into the country each year in, say, 2018 – it would have gone down a little bit during COVID and it would have gone through the roof now. So again, you can't, there's no reason to even try to make any kind of projection. It's one of the reasons I don't like to make those little charts that project how many illegal aliens might be in the United States in five or 10 years, because we're pretty certain the number is going to keep going up until or unless uh, we begin to get a handle on our immigration system and take the issue seriously. But there's just no way to really accurately project it. Almost all these numbers are reactive. We look at what the Census Bureau's American Community Survey said last year, and we tell you what the population is at you know any given moment over the last year. It's just not something you can plan for, and that's one of the reasons this is so destructive to schools. Yeah, of course, and I can completely understand that. And I mean, you know, when we're not able to plan out these funds and these funds are going out, it's looking at things like music programs getting mm-hmm. cut, art programs getting cut, all of those. Is this, you know, com- I'm not sure if the study covered this completely, but, you know, how is this compared to other school programs? You know, this is costing the well, states as a whole billions, but is this comparable to, like, the football team that the school's going to have? What are we looking at here? <laughs> well, we, we found that it costs approximately 20% more on average, to educate uh, a student that has limited English proficiency. Now, in, sta- in schools with lower student totals, it's actually a lot more mm. because you have to you have to hire bilingual teachers. You have to make sure you have the facilities for it. So, if you've got a school with 100,000 students in it, and then you have a thousand students that are LEP, just for example, or maybe more, maybe less than that, it's a little easier for larger school districts to absorb that than it is for smaller school districts. So it ends up being rounding out to about 20%. Now, what we found, we've talked a lot about being unable to plan for this, is that currently there is a need for about 76,000 LEP qualified teachers 
And that's not including the roughly 100,000 teachers that are not properly certified to teach LEP students but are doing so anyway. So yeah, you're talking about how does this impact or how does this compare to other programs? I don't know of many schools that are lacking 15 football coaches or that, you know, yeah. just have that kind of shortage in terms of teachers. And there is a teacher shortage across the country, but it is largely fueled by our inability to properly plan out what is going to be needed in the coming years. We can plan for things like uh, how many new students might be in our schools the next year based on you know, birth rates, how many uh, preschoolers do we have right now, what is the average inflow of people coming to the country from, or to the uh, school district from other parts of the country, or even averaging out legal immigration in the United States. You just can't do that for illegal immigration, where they're going to end up. And in today's day and age, when is, the, when is President Biden going to do a night flight and dump, you know, a thousand illegal aliens into your city? It just can't be planned. And so really it's getting to a point where it's dwarfing all of the other issues, and there are many issues that public schools are dealing with right now, but it's really starting to dwarf that, and it's starting to have an impact on performance metrics as well. Yeah, I could definitely believe that. You know, mm -hmm. instead of the teacher shortage, we have a specialized teacher shortage. Right, so, you know, right. Hey, any of those job seekers out there, you know, make sure you're taking notes <laughs> on this one here. Uh, so, you know, with all that going down, I, I mean, it, this is just some astronomical numbers that we're looking at, some astronomical costs to schools. Do we see this focusing more, you know, is this an all 50 states problem, or are we saying, you know, Texas is really bearing the brunt of this, California? bearing the brunt of this? What does the study say? Well, obviously, you know, states along the border, states that have a higher immigrant population, a higher illegal immigrant population is gonna, are going to see higher figures. Uh, Texas, California, a few other states, New York, now this is costing more than a billion dollars a year. Wow. But even states where you wouldn't think this is as big of an issue, such as the Dakotas or Montana or Maine, you're talking about a price tag in the tens and even hundreds of millions of dollars. And again, that's because, and we've said it time and time again here at FAIR, every state has become a border state. This isn't just something that's impacting, you know, Laredo or McAllen in Texas or Tucson, Arizona or Phoenix or San Diego. Uh, illegal aliens are going everywhere in the United States, wherever there are, you know, are, uh, you know, economic opportunities. And so it's become an issue in, in all of these states. In fact, one of the cities, we looked at a few kind of case studies in the report. One of the cities we looked at was uh, Indianapolis. Mm. And we saw that the illegal alien, or the, the, excuse me, the LEP population in their schools over the last decade or so has grown almost fourfold. Wow. It's grown at an alarming rate because more and more uh, illegal aliens as they see that, hey, ICE isn't going to deport me. The, the federal government isn't really taking their job seriously. They did somewhat during the Trump administration, but they certainly aren't now. That makes them feel emboldened to actually move around the country freely. And of course, we're seeing it even uh, more concentrated in areas where illegal aliens can get driver's licenses, uh, where benefits are available. So obviously, you know, California, Illinois, uh, New York, states like that that are very accommodating to illegal aliens are bearing the brunt of this. Taxpayers there are paying, you know, in some instances more than a billion dollars a year for these programs born almost solely 
out of the irresponsible immigration programs that we are administrating in the United States today. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, this has to be taking an overall fault on education, the fact that we have to focus on making sure that we're educating kids in English before we're Mm -hmm. educating them in reading, before we're educating them in math, you know, anything along those lines. Has there been a hit in the overall sort of education levels of United States students because of this entire impact? Well, absolutely. There's actually been a new term invented over the last 15 years. I think the acronym of it is LTEL, Long-Term English Learners. Wow. Because when you have so many students that don't speak the language at an acceptable level entering the school system and you don't have enough teachers to properly teach them English, how can you expect them to learn English? And if you can't speak English properly, how are you going to learn the other subjects in school? So what we found is less than 5% of 12th grade LEP students gain acceptable proficiency by state standards in either math or English. It's not just an English issue. They don't learn to speak English. They're not finding success in math. They're not finding success in social studies and all the other topics as well. So essentially what we're doing with an irresponsible immigration system is we're setting these students up, these children up for a lifetime of failure because if they are able to even get a degree in their hand, they weren't getting the quality of education that they needed and they weren't, aren't really having any opportunity beyond that because they're not learning these subjects that are so vital and so important to succeed in America today. Mm-hmm. Also very concerning, uh, we learned in this study in our reporting that uh, This is starting to impact non-LEP students as well. You know, the children of migrants who came here the right way, who learned English, who insist that their their children speak English at home and learn Mm -hmm. the language. It's also impacting uh, native-born Americans. People have been here for generations because these schools have to take resources that are needed in those programs and divert them to educating the the children of immigrants who don't speak the language. Uh, Everyone ends up suffering. Mm. And it's really it's really problematic because you know so many people talk about oh these you know, illegal aliens migrants everyone they just want to come here and work, but when you don't have a responsible immigration system, it ends up being the people who have no say in this whatsoever. They can't, children can't vote, you know they can't go to a town hall meeting and ask questions. Uh, it ends up you know it ends up hurting them the most, and we're setting them up for a lifetime of you know difficulty because our education systems are starting to struggle under the weight of these astronomical costs, the burdens, the lack of teachers, uh, the lack of facilities even in some instances, and it's only getting worse. Yeah, and you know, struggling under all that weight, I mean, do we think that some of these schools are eventually going to fold? It's going to, you know, this small town school in North Dakota, you know, they're spending all this money on making sure they have LEP professionals, everything along those lines. Do we get to the point where this cost is so astronomical they just have to shut down? At this point, I think what you're seeing more of is an increase in property taxes in states where schools Mm. are funded by property taxes, other taxes in order to pay for education, you know, things like that, which is, again, damaging in a time when uh, inflation is increasing at, you know, all-time rates. We're in the middle of a recession. Uh, There are still individuals uh, looking for full, gainful employment after COVID-19. This is not a great time to suddenly be able to say, hey, we need to take more of your hard-earned money as Americans in order to fund uh, portions of our education born out of our irresponsible immigration policies. And this is really interesting because you're seeing, you know, more and more parents showing up at the polls out of concern for their children's education, their children's future. You know, if education wasn't on the ballot, Glenn Youngkin probably wouldn't be governor in uh, Virginia. 
We're starting to see that in other parts of the country as well. We're seeing protests with so many of the concerns that are going on in the schools. This is another one of those issues. This is another one of those issues that are really concerning parents because you know, they care about their children more than they care about anything. And so they want to see them find success. So whether you're a, uh, you know, a legal immigrant who came here the right way or someone that's lived here for generations, when we have an irresponsible immigration system that's just letting people flood across our southern border, when we aren't putting the appropriate checks even on illegal immigration, it, it doesn't just you know, harm our pocketbooks now, it cripples the future of our very society because our children mm-hmm. aren't uh, finding the success that they uh, deserve uh, in our public education systems. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I mean, you could definitely tell just through, you know, whether it's, you know, all the costs that are associated, whether it's through not being able to learn, all those things. Is there a way we're going to be able to turn this around? Because it kind of seems like, you know, we're past the breaking point with spending. We're past the breaking point where it's starting to hurt the education of people who would have originally been in the school system already. Right. I mean, what do we see here? Is there any remedy other than, you know, building the wall? Or what do you see? Well, this really started becoming a problem when a Supreme Court case was decided called Plyler v. Which, event, which essentially ruled that the children of illegal aliens and the children of migrants who may not speak English properly deserved state-funded education. Now, I don't think anyone wants to advocate for kicking children out of schools. You know, we want to see yeah. all children have an opportunity for success. But for individuals who have just come to the United States who haven't contributed much in taxes, and we found that illegal aliens in general are a net burden to taxpayers, uh, it really cripples school districts when they can't, you know, quite frankly, charge tuition for these children to come uh, and attend school in their districts. So overturning Plyler Vito would be a huge ask, something that's probably not going to happen in its entirety. But you could see parts of these mandates overturned. You could see states being able to potentially even sue the federal government, showing that they have standing due to the economic and social burden that's placed on schools by illegal immigration to be able to tell the federal government that if you are going to saddle us with this unfunded mandate, you need to start shelling out part of the cost. You need to start helping us out with some of this, or you need to allow us to charge some form of tuition, you know, find some way to actually require that uh, illegal alien families actually bear some of this burden. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because at this point, Already, the federal government contributes approximately 10% of the costs that go to the public school systems. They only contribute about 1.2% of the costs that goes to these LEP programs, despite it being a federal mandate that schools fund these programs. So that's one angle of it. It's a federal mandate by the amount of people that are coming in. Exactly. And that's only getting worse. So the other thing is obviously uh, getting a handle on the illegal immigration issues that we have at the southern border, whether that's building the wall, probably even more importantly at this point is actually enforcing our immigration laws. not just cutting loose every illegal alien that can get across the border. Um, we need to you know, be detaining and removing immigration lawbreakers. We need, I, honestly, we, we, things like mandatory E-Verify would play a huge role here. We still take away the incentive for illegal aliens to come to the country in the first place. Like I mentioned with Plyler, you know, removing that would take away an incentive to come to the United States. 
uh, making sure that other state benefits, if states want to take this seriously and get involved in the fight, you know, where they can would be to make sure that illegal aliens aren't getting driver's licenses, state benefits, in-state tuition at colleges, things like that. All these would would uh, deter illegal aliens from settling in their state, but it would also free up the coffers, the state coffers, to be able to redirect more money towards schools in the first place. So those are two major things that would, ma- that would really help. And honestly, the third point, one that we have seen proposed that Congress could act on, and you know, it'd be really great to see if if the Republicans take back uh, at least the House this fall. Would be to reintroduce the Rays Act because one of the important things the Rays Act required were that um, potential migrants be able to show some fluency in English. And if the parents, while this may not require the you know children to be able to fluently speak English, if parents fluently speak English more often than not, the children are going to have an understanding as well. And if that becomes a primary language, then these these students aren't going to be lingering in LEP programs for the duration of their time in the public school system in the United States. So those there are a lot of solutions for this. And I think that's sometimes what really kind of is almost maddening here is it's not like we're just beating the drum on a problem that you can't easily, you know, really fix. This is something that a lot of damage has been done, but we can turn the ship around. We can start to see improvement in some of these areas. It's just going to take some action from Congress. And even though we know Congress is in deadlock and it's very unlikely that many immigration measures will even be passed if Republicans win back the House and Senate, unless there's a landslide and they somehow got 60 Senate votes, which is pretty much an impossibility, Mm -hmm. uh, you would still have the President of the United States for at least the next two years would be uh, Joe Biden, who has shown no interest in any kind of responsible immigration policy. But even with all of that, states can take action. There are good conservative states out there who take the immigration topic seriously that have a lot of room for improvement. You know, things like removing in-state tuition, making sure illegal aliens can't get driver's licenses or benefits, that sort of thing. There's a lot that can be done at the state and local level. Uh, so, yeah, there are quite a few salute possible solutions out there that could be employed for this. And it's just crucial that they're considered because if they're not, again, so many of these schools are going to get to this point of no return where they're either just going to have to accept that, hey, our children aren't getting the same education they used to, or they're going to have to drastically increase um, you know, the funding that goes into these schools, which means more taxpayer dollars in order to hire the personnel necessary to teach limited English proficient students. Yeah. And I mean, you'd think all this, you know, pro-immigration administration here, they'd be willing to give some sort of federal dollars to sort of help this idea. I mean, no, you said it was no, around, you know, 1% not. It's about of the 1%, money. Yeah. And I think we, we keep seeing it. You know, we were, you, you had this issue in LA where LA city council members were caught saying racist things towards <laughs> blacks and Hispanics. You saw Nancy Pelosi here a couple of weeks ago say, oh, we need illegal aliens in Florida to pick crops. Pick the crops. They yeah. don't care. These are political pawns for their for their you know chess game with the American public. So they don't care if they're getting a good education or not. They just want them uh, more and more migrants to come into the country, hopefully give them citizenship as fast as possible so they vote for their policies so they can fundamentally uh, change the social fabric of the United States and more importantly so they have cheap labor for their uh, crony capitalist uh, oh, yeah, yeah there's just yeah, I mean that, that's really what it comes down to because you would think, Based on what you see, you know, the Democratic Party, the mass immigration lobby, what they say on Twitter, what they get in front of the cameras and say, what they accuse us of opposing, you would think that their first response would be, oh, our schools need help? Well, let's redirect money to the schools to make sure that these students are getting what they need. But you never hear that. 
It's definitely not on the agenda for the teachers' unions in the United States, and you think it would because that's the biggest teacher yeah, shortage more in the United funding. States. I mean, come on, this is all you've been asking for the entire time. But the catch there is, is for them to make those funding requests, for them to admit that that's a problem, would be for them to admit that there's a failure of immigration policy on their part, and mm. they're not going to do that. So they're Last just going to ignore that this problem exists for as long as possible until, you know, they may never acknowledge it. They'll just continue to decrease performance standards. That way you can still say you have high graduation rates and things like that. And it really, again, the ones that suffer most are the children. And yeah. it's really a tragedy because they don't deserve this. Yeah. I mean, they're not getting the proper education that they deserve that our system right. is supposed to provide for them right there. Right. Is there any way where these schools, I mean, because obviously it doesn't seem like there's any sort of policy, you know, sort of changes which are going to be coming out, which are going to help this situation. Mm -hmm. Is there any way these schools could try to remedy it on their own? I mean, is it, did you have just one LEP classroom, something along those lines? Would that well, even help? Well, I think what we all know is, you know, teachers are some of the most resourceful people that you'll ever meet. They're trying their best to find avenues to make this work. But again, there's ultimately only so much you can do without the proper resources. And so, again, I think the best thing that teachers, students, uh, or uh, uh, school districts can do is to continue to shine a light on this issue, let their state leaders know, let their constituents know, this is the problem, this is what we're up against, this is what we need. Because again, we're seeing that when parents become aware of some of these issues, they react. You know, so many parents during COVID saw some of the stuff that their their uh, children were being taught for the first time, you know, when they were watching their classes via Zoom. And if they didn't support it, they got involved. And that's why we see so much. That's why we see education being up near, at the very nearly the top of issues that voters are concerned about this fall. And so reports like this put put it puts it on. Uh, on the radar for, for voters. And I think it's important that teachers aren't afraid, that school districts aren't afraid to say, hey, this is a big issue. Because again, if they really want to get into a fight, into the fight, you could argue that there is standing for these uh, school districts, for these states to actually sue the federal government for the unfunded mm -hmm. mandate that they're required. And that, with the strong Supreme Court that we have right now, could lead to at least elements of Plyler v. Doe uh, being uh, overturned potentially. And that would be the first major, major step in rectifying this issue. Yeah. Uh, excuse me for not knowing, you know, what's going on judicially completely right now. Is that something that's even being discussed with the judicial branch or is anyone bringing that up to the Supreme Court? Well, there are people that are concerned about it, but that's, I think, one of the reasons, that's one of the things that um, it's just kind of maddening because it just doesn't seem to be on the radar right now. There are no court cases currently being pursued that could lead to the overturning of Plyler. But again, with parents being concerned about education, these are questions that we're seeing being asked. And it's one of the reasons we wanted to update this report when we did is to get information out there, to give them fuel in this fight. So while it's not occurring right now, that that's one of those things that really should be on the agenda going forward mm -hmm. uh, is if the administration isn't gonna take it seriously, if most states aren't gonna take it seriously, the one avenue that where conservatives have found some uh, success in recent years has been in the courts. And so this is an issue that could be taken to the courts again, showing that they have standing due to the fiscal and social costs associated with educating limited English proficient students from uh, you know the children of illegal aliens and the children of migrants who come here and 
don't appropriately speak our language, they at least should be able to demonstrate standing to get a suit going. And in the right court system, it could actually it could actually progress forward. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it sounds like really the main basis, the main way that we get this entire mm-hmm. thing going is by getting the word out, making sure people know what's going on. Absolutely. And that, that's where you, the listener, could be involved here. Mm-hmm. You know, make sure that you're sharing this, you know, when you see the YouTube video, when you see the Rumble video, like, subscribe to our content. You can listen to us on Spotify, on Google, on Apple Podcasts, all the above. Make sure you're spreading the word. Make sure you're letting people know that this is an issue that our public schools are facing and it's something that's real. This isn't something we're talking about that's going to be in the future, something that you know we're going to have to worry about down the line. This is something that's happening right now and something that we can take action on and we've laid it all out here in this podcast right now, how exactly we can take that on head on and how we can make sure we're making some kind of progress here. Well, this has been Understanding Immigration. Spencer, thank you so much for joining me this Absolutely. week. Uh, looking forward to future episodes here and uh, stay tuned for more. Thank you.